How good is God? Yeah, well, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there we go. So good. So good. Can I tell you something? He, he's better than you think. So whatever you just arrived at, double it. Yeah, cheers, brother. That'd be great. Um, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite... Uh, just, just down there, it's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking the floor at the moment. I got all this space. It's, you know... He's better than you think. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we think, ask, or imagine. Sometimes my imagination is too small. Sometimes my imagination is too small. And so anything I can do to increase my imagination, to increase my capacity for what I believe God can do in a room, to what I believe God can do in a meeting, what I believe God can do in my family, in my marriage, in my children, in my life, in my kitchen... <laughs> You know, I'm not one of those people who has an eye for, you know, just sticking with those pictures that Jess had. I'm not often someone who can see the finished product when it comes to practical things like kitchens. I look at it and I go, what would this look like? But everything that comes out of that comes out of your imagination, you know, everything. God created out of what is unseen. I love the way Urban McManus says it. God didn't create out of nothing. God created out of what is unseen. Uh, Urban McManus wrote a book called The God We Imagine. And his publicists tried to convince him to change the name of it. Oh, no, sorry, the God, no, sorry, becoming the people God imagined. And they wanted him to change the name of it because they weren't comfortable with a God who imagines, but a God who has an imagination. They went, why don't you change it to becoming the people God had in mind? <laughs> the problem is the Old Testament didn't have a word for mind. It, wasn't, it was the Greeks that discovered thinking as we talk about it today. That's why when Jesus, in Deuteronomy, the greatest commandment was love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And yet in the, Greek, in the New Testament, which is of course written in the Greek, because we have this Greek influence, this Roman influence starting to happen, and someone says to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Jesus is the only one who's allowed to add to Scripture. Because he goes, oh, you've discovered, you know, because the Greeks, I mean, to this day, we have Alpha House, Beta House, Toga Parties. Academic is a Greek word. And somewhere along the line, we became in love with what we can think about, what we can reason, what we can logic. But God is a God who imagines. And if you need proof of that, go to a zoo and find the giraffe enclosure. Like, go, go, I've made horses. Let's make one longer. If you want more proof that God's creative, watch how two male giraffes fight for dominance. It's hilarious. <laughs> just go Google up male giraffe fight on YouTube. It's hilarious. They just, it's like swinging handbags at each other, but it's just their long necks. It's, it's amazing. God created that. And I go, he's got an imagination. So everything that, so when God creates out of the unseen, God created out of what he imagined. And then it says in Genesis that God created man and woman in his own image. He creates all these other animals. He creates the giraffes. He creates the, I find it beautiful in Genesis. Before God creates Adam and Eve, he creates the environment for them to thrive in. God will create an environment for you. And so it says he creates man. And I love it because there's this weird part. Like Genesis is written in like three stages. It's beautiful because it seems to go back on itself because he creates man. And then later on, he creates man again. You go, but when you read it and you follow for what it is, it's beautiful. 
Because it says he creates man after he's created all these animals. And it says, but among them, no suitable helper for Adam was found. And I love the way that Pastor Chris Hill used to put this because he has, he has this picture of like, you know, God parading all the animals in front of Adam and going, no, 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 no. Oh, well, I guess we better. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a hilarious statement to me. Among them, no suitable help for Adam was found. Of course not. And so that's when God, the first thing, and take this woman, use this next time someone tries to be chauvinistic with you. The first thing in the Bible, we go through the seven days or six days of creation. It is good. God saw what he made. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. The first thing that God declares not to be good is the absence of a woman. It is not good for man to be alone, he says. So you, you take that. Bo was proclaiming the verses, the promises of Genesis <laughs> over his life. It is not good for a man to be alone. It's not even good for a married man to be alone. Not, not when they're babysitting the children, because you come home and they've done something crazy, like we built a fort. Why are the children jumping off the ceiling? It seemed like a good idea at the time. So yeah, it's, it's not a good idea. But anyway, this coming back, I'm getting, getting well off track here. God created out of his imagination. God created out of what is unseen. And then in his creative ability, it says he created man and woman in his own image. Now, we tend to take that to mean something that it doesn't mean. What we can see when we look at God created man and woman in his own image is God created humanity with the ability to imagine. You are the only person, you are the only creation that has the capacity to imagine, to do what God did, to create out of the unseen. You'll never see a beaver building bridges, right? They build dams because that's what's hardwired into their creation. But into you and I, God put his spirit. It says he breathed into the nostrils of man. It's, it is literally, I, I love it. I, I'm sure if you were to draw a picture of it, it was the hongi of life. He breathes his, his mana, his air into our supply. That's why we sang just last week, it's your breath in our lungs. And he breathes in that creative capacity. All the creative people in here say amen this morning. All the uncreative people in here say amen this morning. Because you have been given the capacity to create. Everything in this room, everything you see, everything you're wearing is because somebody imagined it. Because when God covered you, he covered you in fig leaves. And somewhere we went, we can do better. <laughs> And it's not that we can do better than God, but it's like God gave us the ability to create. And sometimes what we do in our pursuit of God is we actually put aside our creative ability. Right? We, we do these crazy things like we, we undermine the gifts and the creativity that God's given us. You write a, you know, and again, Erwin, Manus, Erwin McManus talks about this. You write a book and someone goes, oh, you didn't write that book. God wrote that book. He's like, no, I, I wrote it. I, and I know because I was up late at night. What, he, what we mean is that God wrote it in the context of he gave you the creative ability in the first place. And so when God is in something, you know, the word inspire literally means, inspire is breath, in is in. So to expire, when you get old and you expire, you breathe out, and then you don't breathe in again. I don't remember when my loaf of bread stopped breathing in, but you know when it's done. It's, 
unless you're Mike, in which case the milk is good for at least another week. It's <laughs> so, but inspire literally means God breathes into, to be God breathed. So when we say God breathed into Scripture, when we say the Word of God is God inspired, we know that people wrote it, but God breathed into it. When we talk about someone who leads inspirational worship, we know they sang, but we, what we mean is it's like God breathed on it. When we talk about being an inspired church, what we want to be is a church of normal people, creative people, given the capacity to create, who come together and God breathes on it. Because without the breath of God, Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because unless breath enters something, unless his breath enters something. And you know, his word says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. And this word we have for spirit is pneuma. Do you know what it means? Breath. It's literally the holy breath. I will send the holy breath. Now, you could turn to the person next to you and ask them to breathe on you. I guarantee their breath ain't holy. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how many mints they've had this morning. Their breath ain't holy. But when God breathes, and so he has given, God has the capacity to imagine, and then he gives us the capacity to imagine. And then we have this verse which says, God is able. We believe that. God is able to do more. Do we believe that? Then we can think. Do we believe that? Then we can ask and that we can imagine. And so God, in his, all of his majesty, all of his, you know, one of the things that I find as a team leader, I was sitting the other day with our children's workers and we're dreaming for our children's ministry. And I got a dream, but I know they've got a dream. And so the thing I have to do is draw that dream out of them. Because I can sit there and go, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, because I have imagined. But something happens when our imagination engages. And so sometimes you're sitting in that room and you go, I wish you'd say, I really wish you'd say. And so God, who is all imagining, he has the capacity to dream bigger than we. And then he goes, I can do more than you think, ask, or imagine. And so sometimes I wonder what we see in our churches and what we see in our marriages and what we see in our workplaces. And we go, I, I feel like God should be doing something, but we stop dreaming about it. We stopped imagining it. We started getting up every single day and we started looking at our job and going, this is God forsaken. God can't fix this. God can't do this. Or, you know, God get, we start praying prayers like this, God get me through another day. If that's the size of my imagination, why would God do anything bigger than that? Or if he does, how much does he have to do? Like if my prayer to God is, God, get me through another day. And God gets me through another day and I get one extra, I was going to say one extra green light. It doesn't matter here in Blenheim. There's none of them. <laughs> then he's already exceeded my imagination. Right? Like, God, get me through another day. And in the midst of that, then there's a cat. And I like cats. Yeah, our cat, my cat hates me. It takes a two-meter berth around me to get to the other side of the house. I don't know why. I don't know what I did to it. It just, a little, you know, so God help me get through today. And it's like, well, you get through the day and the cat will take a one-meter berth. He's already exceeded my expectation, my, my capacity to imagine. 
But if I get up in the morning saying yes to the infinite possibilities of what God could do in my workplace, if I start imagining what God could do for that manager who does my head in, if I start imagining what God could do in the life of that atheist who says they'll never believe, if I imagine what God could do in my marriage, if I believe and I imagine what God could start to do in my children, then the Bible says God can do more than we think, ask, or imagine. Now, I don't want this to be a message on the power of positive thinking. Because if it's about us, the focus is wrong. But what we know is that part of our relationship with God has to do with this relationship. And this is why the word for me this morning was reconnect. This isn't even in my notes. I don't know where we're going. So, like I say, we're pressing into what may be rather than what will be. But there's this story in the Bible where Jesus, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, but I think it's important to talk about it again. There's a story where Jesus goes back to his hometown. And in all these other towns that Jesus has been in, he's been healing the sick. He's been doing all these crazy things, water into wine. Miracles, miracles, miracles. And it says he returns to his hometown. And it says, and he could do no miracles. It, says he could, it doesn't say he chose to do no miracles. The word of God says he could do no miracles. Some translations have put it in there, except heal a few sick. But it's, that's actually not in plenty. Of, you know what that is? That's a bunch of people trying to help God out. Because <laughs> we go, he could do no miracles. No, we'll just accept heal, heal a few sick. Because he's Jesus. He can do but the Bible says he could do no miracles. And then it gives us afterwards the reason. It says, because they would not honor it says they looked at him and they said, is this not just Joseph, uh, Joseph's son, the carpenter? Is this not just like, didn't he used to play with my kids at preschool? Didn't he used to, like, uh, all these things. And so because of, you know, Danny Silk writes, writes an amazing book called The Culture of Honor. If you haven't read it, read it. And it's this thing about if we don't honor people, if we don't, I mean... The people didn't honor Jesus. In other words, they decreased their imagination of what he could be. And Jesus literally couldn't do miracles. Is that crazy to anyone other than just me? Because he's God, right? Like, Jesus is God. He can do what he wants. And yet in this context and in this capacity, because, you know, Psalm something, says the earth, the heavens belong to God, the earth he has given to man, and in Genesis it says God put man and woman on the earth and gave them dominion, in other words, this is your place, when you go to visit someone in their house, you tend to work by their rules, eh, you don't, like if they want your shoes off, if you have a no shoes, if you have a shoes on rule at your house and they have a no shoes rule, you go, I'm sorry, we wear, we wear shoes in my house, you don't do that, and so God, the Bible says that the heavens belong to God, the earth he has given to man, and then it says he can do more than we can think, ask, or imagine, and then he returns to his hometown, and he can't do anything, because they won't honor him. Which raises a question for me, if that's true of God, how much more true of that is, of, of that is us in this room? How dangerous, therefore, is the thought, I'll honor my wife when she starts behaving like an honorable wife. Yeah. 
I'll honor my husband when he starts behaving like an honorable husband. I'll honor my children when they start behaving like honorable children. I'll honor my employer when he starts or she starts behaving like an honorable employer. I'll honor the community. I'll honor that political party. I'll honor whatever when they start behaving like an honorable And yet what we learn is that our lack of honor actually disempowers people. Our failure to honor people disempowers people. I've got, I, I have this thing I, I do every day. It's called a monk manual. It's, um, it's not as weird as it sounds. It's all about every day just getting your focus right, getting your focus on Jesus, getting your focus on God, the things that matter, because so quickly we get stuck on the things that don't matter. And one of the things that, I, that it's got in there every day, and I've changed it because it says, how can I give today? I've changed it to how can I honor someone today? Because giving is part of honoring. But so I get up every day going, God, who can I honor today? And sometimes it's real easy, and sometimes it's real hard. But when we start to honor each other, we actually empower the Spirit of God to work in their life. We don't empower them as much as we empower the Spirit of God. Because again, Jesus did everything He did through the power of the Spirit. So through honoring Jesus, the Spirit was empowered in His life to do miracles. Are you with me, church? So God is able to do more than we can think, ask, or imagine which keeps bringing me back to this place of we need to reconnect our imagination with God. We need to reconnect our imagination because this, this year it's been easy for vision to go and die in a hole, yeah? This year it's been easy for plans and imagination to just go and die in a hole and eventually the thing that you imagine is, is, is like, uh, maybe if McDonald's opens again. Like, and that was the extent of it. Like, it was like, maybe fast food will be better. It's like, and that's the biggest thing we're dreaming of. What are we dreaming for? Because if God is going to exceed our imagination, we've got to start imagining big. I'm not going to go there. I was going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, which is all about having received spiritual gifts. It's all about uh, being part of one body, when one part of the body hurts, all the party, parts of the body hurt together, and, and this and that. And the importance of, therefore, us all being connected. I go to see my, um, I got a massage therapist I go to see once a week, and I always complain about, I've got loose grip in my hand, it's something to do with the guitar, and she goes, oh, that's to do with your shoulder blade. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's to do with my hand. She's like, no, it's not to do with your hand. Okay, cool, right, sweet it. I've got this thing in my jaw, and you know, I'm, well, that's to do with your. I'm pretty sure it's. I could, this is where it hurts. This is where I can't open it past a certain place to put sandwiches in my mouth anymore. This is, you know, and, and no, no, that's to do with, with here. Uh, okay, cool. Um, you know, I helped Ollie put that bench in. <laughs> he rang me one day. He's like, "You got, you got 15 minutes. We'll put that bench in." Oh yeah, I got 15 minutes. So I popped around. 15 minutes. Now, 45 minutes later. Because <laughs> you get there and you go, well, we're going to put this bench in. And it's cut to size. We do all the measurements. It's cut to fit. And like God has these gifts for us and they're made to fit. Turns out we are going here a little bit. And so and we go, well, it's made to fit, so it'll fit perfectly. In theory. 
I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the funny part. It did fit perfectly. The problem wasn't the fit. The problem was any, everything in the way of the fit. <laughs> and so you go, yeah, we'll just we'll put that through there, and then we'll do that. And so it's like, <sighs> okay. But first we need to take that, like, well, no, not first, because first we, just, we put it in, and we went with lower, and now it's, like, well, now it's stuck. And it's on an angle. Can we get it out? No. It, no, it doesn't go back that way anymore. Oh, it came in that way. It should go back. No, it doesn't go back that way anymore. Okay, well, we're, we're committed now. This bench is going in one way or the other. And uh, he was offered it in three pieces, but no, nah, we'll take it in one. <laughs> so, oh, what are we going to do? We've got to take that shelf down. All right, let's take that shelf down. So, you know, next thing you've taken the shelf down, you take the microwave off the shelf, you take the shelf off the floor, you move the thing. And so then we push it down, and then, of course, Ollie had this freshly painted house that they'd done a couple of weeks ago. And so the first thing we did is push it down, and I push the bench down and rip all the paint off the wall. There you go. I'm blaming you. You should have got this in three pieces, man. This is all good. <laughs> this is... So anyway, we're like, well, it's in now. He's like, I've still got some paint. I'm like, oh, well, we can, we can fix that up. Does, it, does that feel like anyone else's life to you? Like you get a little bit of something fixed up, and then it's like, that bit's good, but no, we're going to have to move that bit, and then we're going to put that. Oh, and I've scratched the paint. I just got this. And, and so then we, we bring it down. <laughs> And we bring it down, and then it gets stuck on the windowsill. <laughs> and so it's sitting on the windowsill, which sticks out about this far. And I'm like, oh, that's easy. We'll just pull the windowsill out. No, someone jibbed the windowsill into the wall. <laughs> so now we've got Ollie's multi-tool out, and we're cutting, the, we're cutting this windowsill into like five pieces to try and get the windowsill out. So Ollie's going to need a new windowsill. Uh, I'd look like you had one. Very nice. Um, did you jib it into the wall? Good idea. Because like, clearly whoever put that first bench down never anticipated that someone might want to change it. Because yellow is here to stay. <laughs> and so, you know, we're doing all this stuff. And there was nothing wrong with the windowsill. It was a good windowsill. But sometimes in order to fit the thing that God had, the new thing that God has for you, you have to deconstruct some of the old. And the old is not just always the bad. Sometimes the old is the good that has to come out so that what he has can fit and things can get back in their natural order of things. And so my goal and what we're doing and this whole thing about connection and imagination and everywhere we're going in that is, you know, we've changed this room to try and make it so it's not us and them. Like we're trying to make a circle, not around this space here, but around each other. To actually go, you know, one of the questions that that uh, Grant Norsworthy put to us is, what's your goal on a Sunday morning? Is it to sound good or get the people singing? And you go, huh, never thought of it like that. And so, you know, little things like pick keys that people can sing, you know, rather than ones that are, I'm up here, and everyone's going, good times. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm a real man, and that doesn't happen for me. That's, you know, <laughs> so, but these kind of things of, of realizing in the body, in one part of the body, the whole body hurts with it. And so, again, I've got this pain in my jaw, but it's to do with here. And so this whole thing of bringing our body our body is church together and reconnecting together and going, where do we go together? How do we start imagining together? Because it's not good enough for just the pastor to be in a good space. If the pastor's in a good space, everything's fine. But as we journey and as we heal together, as we work together, something starts to really shift. And, and so that's where my heart is at the moment. That's what we're walking towards at the moment. And again, that wasn't where I was going. Um, yeah. 
find your role in this sense of connection, because one of the things that we're learning about reconnecting is to find your role in the current season of the church. And I don't mean the current season of the church is in the, the 10 until 11.30 part of, like, if, if Blenheim Baptist Community Church for you is 10 until 11.30 on a Sunday morning, you want to see some of what else we're getting up to at the moment, because it's a fun time. Find your role, of, you know, the Bible says earnestly desire the best gifts. And when we talk about earnestly desiring the best gifts, again, we usually categorize them. We go, well, these, you know, prophets are important, all these sorts of things. But if I walk into a situation and someone needs healing, the best gift is healing. If I walk into a situation and everybody's really healthy, how helpful is the gift of healing? Not, not super healthy. This morning I was watching, and this is, again, so coming back to this whole part of the body, in this season, I want you to spend some time praying, what part is God calling me to play in this season? Not forever, not for whatever, but what part of the body, am I, you know, like there's certain times where like, if I play football, I use my feet a lot. If I play table tennis, I use my hands a lot. But my footwork's also important in table tennis, but so I know that because I did a message on table tennis yesterday for a wedding. So, but the point is this, I was watching this morning, the gospel according to Handy Andy, is, it, is that what it's called? I don't know. Emma? Emma, help? No. Children's program. Taya's watching because that's what we do. We get the kids ready and then we go, right, you watch TV, we'll get ready now, finally. Uh, and I was just happened to be sitting, putting my shoes on, and it's all about this, this boy, Handy Manny. There you go, Handy Manny, because Andy's an old school name, apparently. So it's this, it's this boy, and he's got all these tools, and they're all alive, because, you know. And one of the quotes that he has, because he takes his whole toolbox to every single thing he goes to, and sometimes his tools are needed, and sometimes they're not, because sometimes you get somewhere, and you need the drill, and you need the hammer, but you don't need the tape measure, or you don't, if you're like me, you never need the tape measure. You just keep cutting until it, until it goes in. It'll, it'll get there eventually, and if it doesn't, then it's not finished. But, so you've got all these tools, and the comment that he made is this, and I think this is really important for us in understanding that we're all part of one body, because so often we come to church for me. We come to church for what I need. You know, I'm, I'm a screwdriver. Where do I get to be? Where do I get to be used? You know, and then sometimes we go, well, I feel like, you know, sometimes you come, and I talk to these people, sometimes you come here on Sunday, and you feel like every single sermon is for you, week after week after week. You ever been that person? Maybe not here, maybe at another church, but it's just like, man, it's like you're speaking to me. And then other weeks you rock into church for week after week after, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting anything from this. My pastor must not be hearing from God. He's got to stop. You know, he's got to start praying more. Your sermons have just become irrelevant. And, you know, and then meanwhile, someone on the other side's going, man, it's like he's been speaking to me for six weeks straight. And Handy Manny says this about his tools. And maybe if we talk about it in terms of our role in church. Handy Manny says this, even if I don't need you all the time, there's always a time when I will need you. Even if I don't need you all the time, there's always a time where I need you. It's not in your Bible. Well, it is in your Bible. It would be worded differently. But the gospel according to Handy Manny. And so you might be in church right now going, I'm not getting filled every week. I'm not getting fed every week. I'm not. Start imagining bigger for someone else then. Start imagining for the person on the other side of the room. Start imagining for the person who's not in church. Start listening to the message going, who do I know that really needs to hear that? And not in a, like, I'm perfect, you know, because sometimes we do that, eh? We go, oh, that message must have been for you, not, not for me. 
But start going. If it's not for me, what's my part in it? If I've already got the biggest imagination in the church, like if you're sitting here going, I don't need a bigger imagination. My mum's always said to me, I imagine too much. If you already think you've got a big enough imagination, what can you do to increase the capacity of the imagination of someone else? Even if it's not always about you, even if you are not needed all the time, there will be a time where we need you. So let's all come together in the same toolbox and reconnect, whether that's in here, whether that's out there, and let God do what God, only God can do. Dean, Lisa, I felt like God said to me this morning that he's going to increase your capacity for imagination. Um, you mentioned to me last week, so I, and again, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, you mentioned to me last week that obviously something's different. I caught a rumor this week about what's happening at your workplace. So that is me. But where I believe God steps in is he's going to increase your imagination. And right now, there's a, there's a time where you've sort of been going, what's next? What's next? And it's been very logical. It's been very think, think through. God actually wants you to go home and imagine what's next. And as you present that imagination to him, and I don't know if you've got a plan already. So if you've got a plan already, hopefully it's a good one. Um, but so I, I feel like I said, submit that imagination dream to me and watch what I'll do with it. And um, yeah, cool. Whew. It's not bad for not getting anywhere near my notes. Hopefully it helped some of you. And if it didn't, it wasn't for you. So um, let me pray. <laughs> Mighty God, we thank you that you are able to do more than we can think, ask, or imagine. And Lord, we repent for the times that we have stopped dreaming about how, just how much you can do in our lives. Lord, we invite you this morning and into this week to do even more. Lord, we commit to going home today and dreaming bigger for the kingdom of God. Lord, that we might dream about what next Sunday would look like. Lord, that we might dream about what Monday at work looks like. Lord, that we might dream about what that prayer meeting on Tuesday looks like. Lord, that we might dream about what our marriages look like. Lord, that we might dream about our children. We might dream about our future spouses. For some of you, amen, we'll take it. Uh, Lord, that we would start to dream in these ways. And then, Lord, that we would honor you so that you are fully empowered to work to your full ability in our lives. And Lord, may we be connected like never before. May we look out for each other. May we know our role in your kingdom together. The times where we take a lead role and the times where we take a supporting role. And Lord, may we do both with the same amount of passion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.